Well, on that note, I want to spend a few minutes with you in the Scripture, and I'm in, I want you to join me in the book of Colossians, uh, and Colossians chapter 4 uh, will be our passage this uh, morning, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, and what I'm asking God to do is use this passage to um, stoke the fire a little bit for us in terms of evangelism, and just so we're all on the same page by evangelism, what I mean is you sharing the gospel with people who do not follow Jesus. A rather simple definition, I know, but that's what we're talking about. Uh, and so I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read this scripture and just for a few minutes uh, give you some encouragements uh, from these verses. It's the Apostle Paul, the great Christian missionary, writing, and he says in verse 2, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving." At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Scripture. And I simply ask in Jesus' name, as we think about this passage in particular, that you would use it to edify us, to reveal some things that might need to change in our lives, that we would be people who are living in obedience to the Great Commission because we want to, because we love Jesus, because it's not a burden that has been given to us, it's the great privilege and blessing of our lives to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in our generation. Help us know from this passage how the door to evangelism gets open. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated, and I, don't, I, I do want to uh, give a message this morning entitled Opening the Door to Evangelism, and uh, taking that title right from verse 3, where Paul says, please pray for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. So quick pop quiz, who opens the door? God opens the door. What I want us to talk about is how He does that, uh, and what your part is in it. You might see from this passage a couple of collaborations. We co-labor with God. It's Paul's life, right? Uh, opening the door to evangelism doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean we just twiddle our thumbs and then pop over. Oh, the door's open. I'm going to walk through. You know, there's some work that goes into getting the door open. And I want to give you a couple of uh, uh, exhortations from the Scripture. And think about it this way. When Elijah had prayed to God and God sent fire down from heaven, who had built the altar? Elijah had built the altar. Who sent the fire? God sent the fire. And so there's things that only God can do, but then there are things that we must do. It's a collaboration. And we'll also talk a right good bit here. It's also a collaboration in your life between your words and your actions. Which does Paul emphasize here? Well, it's both, isn't it? Hey, does he talk about conducting yourselves wisely towards outsiders or declaring the mystery of the gospel? Well, of course they go together. Let me talk to you for just a moment and start with this point. Doors to evangelism don't open like they used to, but God can still open them. The world has 
changed. You know that, don't you? Little things have changed, like how you maybe listen to music. Anybody still doing the cassette tape thing? Some of you are, and that's fine. How many of you doing the Spotify thing? Yeah, the world's changed. You used to go to big stores and buy your Christmas presents. How many of you go on Amazon only? Yeah, the world has changed. The way we interact with one another has changed. How many of you have had more conversations this week with someone face-to-face? I know COVID's going on, and that's put a whole other wrinkle in it. Or on your phone. Personal interaction has changed. Been to the grocery store and tried to say hello to someone, and you can't even get them to look at you because their face is down on their phone, right? The world has changed. Now, here's what I want you to not, in line with the Scripture, make the best use of the time. This is really hard for me, so I'm going to give it to you as well. Don't waste your life bemoaning the fact that the world has changed. Because you can do that. How many of you, when you were growing up, went to bed with the door unlocked? How many of you did that last night? The world's changed. Not only do the doors lock now, there's an extra lock on it, and then there's a camera right here, right? How about when you're at your house and you hear this? What's the first thing you say? Who in the world is that? They wouldn't show up here unannounced. They would have texted me ahead of time. And, you're, and I've had this happen, by the way, doing door-to-door visits. Here's what I hear from the other side. Shh. He'll go away. I've actually heard someone say this. He'll go away if we just stay quiet. I was only like, I can, I can hear you. Paul says, Paul says, pray that God would open a door. Now, please listen to me. The world has changed, but God's ability to get that door open has not changed. What is required, though, is perhaps in your life, some changing. And one of the things that needs to change, I know in my life, is I have to stop complaining that the world has changed and not spend my whole life saying it has. It wasn't that long ago that you wouldn't say that Europe is the most unreached continent on earth. It wasn't that long ago you wouldn't make that statement, but now you have. And, just so we're all on the same page, as Europe has gone, America is going. The world has changed, but God can still open doors. Now, where is Paul when he writes this? Is he in a position of prominence? Is he in a position of great wealth? Is he in a position where he has great favor from the governing authorities? Absolutely not. According to this passage, where is he? He's in prison. And Paul's conclusion isn't, well, I'm in prison, so the gospel, somebody else is going to have to do it. No, actually, Paul has grace from God to realize something important that I believe we are going to need to know as well. Sometimes the way the door gets open is your faithfulness to God in the midst of great adversity. Because on the other side of the door, if they'll crack, they'll say, well, man, these people must really believe these things because they're faithful to the Lord in the midst of the cancer, in the midst of the corona pandemic. In the midst of life happening and suffering happening. Have you read the book of Acts? When does the gospel spread? It's when they joyfully hold to Jesus, even when they've lost their houses, even when they've lost their lives. They continue the church to move forward. Where does it begin? This is what Don and Pam emphasized to us. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. The assumption there is that they've been praying steadfastly. And I'm not sure that in 2020 American church, we need to make that assumption. Are you a person of steadfast prayerfulness? A person, here's 
as I've thought over these verses, a person of steadfast prayer and watchfulness and thanksgiving will evangelize. So let me also help real quick here. You might say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Guess what, friends? There is no gift of evangelism. There are only evangelists who abide in Jesus and love him with all their heart to the point that they share the gospel. The Bible does say he gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But I think sometimes we think, well, I'm not gifted that way. But I want you to know that there's no spiritual giftedness that trumps your faithfulness to what the Great Commission is for all of us, if that makes sense. As they said, a whole church needed to reach the whole world. Friends, people are more guarded and skeptical than ever. They are. Again, when, when the phone rings at my house, I assume it's someone I don't know. And when someone knocks on my door, I assume, well, it's either the neighbors next door looking for my children to play with, or it's somebody that I don't know. And while people are more guarded and skeptical than ever, here's where the door might crack a little bit. They're also more lonely and isolated than ever. So doors to evangelism don't open like they used to, but God can still open them. And next, we should know that doors to evangelism open through a combination of words and actions. Notice that Paul seamlessly talks about both words and actions. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to the word. And then when the doors open to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He says, declare it, make it clear how I ought to speak. And then he does speak about our conduct. So obviously, this is real simple, but it's important. When we go to share the gospel and we want the door to be open and we do knock, when the door is opened, we don't just stand there and say nothing. We speak, but our words are, uh, well, devoid of hypocrisy if that person knows how we live. Does that make sense? It's like uh, if the door opened and I began to talk to somebody about the fact that I'm, you know, 150 years old, he said, no, you're not. Your words don't make sense to who you are. I know that was random and silly, but you understand the concept, right? Talk about a person of Jesus being gracious and compassionate and full of truth. But then in our lives, we're harsh, prayerless, angry. As I think about it, I, I don't know that the unbelieving world around us ever lost confidence in Jesus, but they've lost confidence in those who claim to belong to Jesus. And then by extension, then he must not be who they said he is. So it is a combination of words and actions. And, and then, just real quick, I believe that doors often open when we live in contrast to the world around us. When we live in contrast to the world around us. Hey, if you're there in Colossians Turn with me just to chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, near the beginning of Paul's letter, verse 11. 
may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's awesome, isn't it? He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, hallelujah, praise God, amen. Now, what Paul says in Colossians 4 is to people who have had that happen in their lives, right? So, do you believe it's possible for God to bless you with his power, his might, and transfer you? Transfer you into his kingdom and that not show up in your life. Now, Colossians 4 is an extension of your life if this has happened. And I just want to pause and thank Jesus for a moment because he's the one who's done it. He's the deliverer. He's the qualifier. Amen? So, give a couple of quick and prayerfully practical encouragements. Making the best use of the time. How much time do you have left? How much time do you have left? And then whatever you are in life, the answer, biblically speaking, is not much. Not much. Life's a vapor. So to make the best use of the time, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you'll squander time living a me-first, self-centered, closed-off, shut down life. And that is not, that is not why God has given you his glorious might and all power. And now you live a life of gratitude. So making the best use of the time, contrast, a contrast. First of all, in a loud world, be a good listener. In a loud world, be a good listener. Listener, this is on the principle of wanting to get this door open, right? Who's somebody right now that you can think of you dearly love that does not know Jesus? Somebody coming to your mind? Would they describe you as a good listener? Pastor Blake talked about this last week. Not a good listener if while somebody else is talking, you're already thinking about how you're going to respond, right? Do you believe Jesus was a good listener? Paul says, look what he says here. <laughs> we, we know, he, I appreciate this because we know pre-conversion to Christ, Paul had an anger problem, right? He was not a good listener. He'd walk into the service like this, drag people out by their hair. He don't want to, I don't care what you have to say. So much so that when he was converted, the believers were initially skeptical, right? Took Barnabas to say, well, no, we need to let this guy in. So Paul says here that there is a way that I ought to speak. The verb most commonly used of Paul in the book of Acts before his conversion was angry. And the verb most commonly used of Paul after his conversion was he reasoned with people. God will often open a door in our day for you to speak once you have demonstrated to another person that you're willing to listen. We live in a, we live in a loud 
generation. And the gospel's not going to go forth with you out shouting somebody else. Just go to any comment section on any social media or news site and see how to not listen. We can all take a cue from Jesus. He was a great listener. He listened to questions and often responded to questions with a question. He was approachable. He never tried to embarrass or condescend an honest questioner. He really was only ever in heated or tense arguments with one group of people, the religious crowd, who already thought they knew everything. And Paul, if you follow his line of thought in verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. He assumes, listen, he assumes gracious speech will always lead to questions. So one, in a loud world, be a good listener. And next, in a harsh world, be gentle. When I talk to unbelievers, often the assumption is that Christianity is harsh. It's legalistic. It's just a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. And when I listen to unbelievers, I keep thinking to myself, that's not who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus really is? Because what we've been studying, right, church family, through the book of Mark, he's not harsh. He's clear, but he's not harsh. And then in a disconnected world, be hospitable. One of the ways that you'll get the door to open in the lives of others is if in your life you open the door too, right? Right? In America in 2020, far too often what we've begun to do is we ourselves have begun to live behind the closed door. Interesting thing is we, we still put a welcome mat at our door, but, but I'm not sure we mean that, right? It's a welcome mat, but then the door dog says, what, who, who, who's, who's there? It's amazing when you open the New Testament and begin to read how frequently you hear about hospitality hospitality. You need something, you can count on me. You need somewhere to stay, you can count on me. You need somebody to keep the child today, you can count on me. You need some help making ends meet, you can count on me. You have a place at my table. This is ultimately the gospel, right? That God's taking people who don't deserve a place at his table and welcoming them in so that you have a place at the table. The great irony, of course, in our technological revolution we've lived through in the last 20 years is we're more connected wirelessly and more disconnected personally than ever. Wi-Fi doesn't make for more friendships, does it? Think of all the homes that Jesus was invited into. Remember, they begin to criticize him and say, he's a friend of sinners. He's a, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Now, he wasn't, but... He spent some time, a lot of time with people who were. Have you ever received that criticism? Oh, they spend too much time with lost people. Well, often Jesus' criticisms, he wore as badges of honor, right? And if he wasn't a friend of sinners, I would have no hope. If he wasn't willing to draw near to me, I would have no, no hope. So in a disconnected world, we want to people, be a people who are hospitable. Leverage your time to be with people who don't know Jesus yet. We, we need to be able to see as Christians, um, 
roles and platforms and opportunities to share the gospel may not sound, if I can use this word, churchy. Coach the team. City League keeps sending out an email, nobody will coach this team. You coach the team. You have the people in your home. You meet for coffee. I believe moving forward in our culture, we need to be liberated from maybe thinking all the time we need to get people to this physical location. And we say physically, I'm going to go from here to be with them where they are. It should be a goal of your life to be regularly invited by people who don't know Jesus to do things, to go places. Make your fishing excursion inclusive of believers and people who don't know Jesus. I, I was reading a book this week uh, by Sam Chan it's called um, How to Share Jesus with Others Without Being That Guy. I, that drew me in because I feel like oftentimes I am that guy. And he just said oftentimes Christians live in two worlds. They've got their Christian friends on one side and their non-Christian friends on another. He said merge the worlds. Look at, look at what Paul's doing here. He's always making time in his life to share the gospel with people who don't know him, but he's also edifying and being uh, uh, edified in the church. We've said it this way before, so say it again. Everybody take a deep breath in, and now breathe out. You need to do both to live. So if we're always ever just in the Word, studying, 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 or coming to church for ourselves, ourselves, you need that. You need to be edified. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to know his Word. But if we just take in, knowledge puffs up, the Scripture says. But then the whole reason you're taking in is in order to breathe out. So be be hospitable. I'll tell you, I'm the introvert of introverts. Given my own natural inclination, I'd find time to read a book alone for every lunch hour I've got. But that's not making the best use of the time. So make room in your life. Is your door open? figuratively and and literally, I guess, right? For others to walk in, or do they find you closed off? Sometimes I'm fearful that we just got a bunch of closed doors. Uh Uh-oh, it didn't close all the way. What I love about Jesus, though, he demonstrated after the resurrection, he can walk through locked doors too, right? Last exhortation and encouragement. In, In an individualistic world, be a part of a team devoted to evangelism. In an individualistic world, be part of a team devoted to evangelism. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And then look in chapter 4, verse 7, right after this section that we've studied together this morning. It says, Tychicus will tell you all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know we, uh, how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother. And then if you continue to read, he goes right on and naming all sorts of other people. What's he talking about? That's his team. It's his group. So in an individualistic world, be part of a team devoted to evangelism. So it's not just you going to the door. It's, it's your, your team, your, of course, your church. One uh, helpful part of the book I referenced earlier uh, by, by Sam Chan He said, most people need five trustworthy friends in their lives. And if you're going to be part of evangelism and really sharing the gospel, you need a team of five. So I'm just giving you this practical. Can you count 
on one hand, people that you'd say, maybe it's family members, maybe it's brothers, sisters, parents, maybe it's like-minded brothers and sisters here in the church, of course. But evangelism doesn't just happen. It's a collaboration between God opening the door. But sometimes I'm fearful, y'all, that God's getting doors open, but nobody's standing there ready to share. Nobody's with a team ready to leverage their lives, making the best use of the time. So, so in conclusion today, uh, what I want you to do is, is to take inventory. Where, where am I in life right now, making the best use of the time? So can we just conclude by walking through the scripture? And as I read, I'm going to pause at certain points. And I simply want you to ask for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to you and say, is this something you're doing right now? Now, again, when it comes to evangelism and all obedience to Jesus, we're not a do more, try harder people. I think we'd all be able to say we want to mature and do more in evangelism. But I want to connect this back to Colossians 1. Instead of saying, okay, I'll try harder, would you instead respond by saying, God, would you bless me with your glorious power and might so that I can first continue steadfastly in prayer? Take inventory. You'll never be burdened for the lost without continually asking God to give you that burden. It's just our inclination with the sin nature will lay it aside, become self-centered, and it's daily, right? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Are you watching in your life where are the open doors? Are you watching where am I making progress that I may have an opportunity to share the gospel with this person? And then are you a person living life with thanksgiving? We don't have to wait until the week of thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up a door for the word. I would say, are you regularly praying for missionaries who are on the field? Are you regularly praying for others to be able to share the gospel? To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I love how Paul mentions that he's in prison without complaining about the fact that he's in prison. The irony is he views the closed door of prison as an open door for the gospel. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. If the door flung wide open and somebody said, will you share with me the gospel? Would you be able to do so in a clear way? If not, begin to work on that. Uh, We'll talk more about that in the weeks that are to come, Lord willing. But would it make it clear? And, and, And then, are you someone conducting yourselves wisely towards outsiders? Are you making the best use of the time? Is your speech always gracious? Season with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Well, let's stand together and we're going to pray together. And then we'll have a time of invitation. And as we respond to the word, it may be that God begins to bring to your mind some people that you dearly love that don't know Jesus. Would you use the time simply to pray that God would open a door? that you may be able to share. That God would give you grace to live a life in such a way that you earn audience with unbelievers. And that your life and your words match up. God, it is true, I believe, that, that the world has changed. And I don't want to spend my life uh, not recognizing it because I believe it's actually given us some opportunities that we don't want to be blind to. Now, Father, I pray that you'd lead our response time. 
Well, as I think back on the scripture we studied, the, the phrase, make the best use of the time, is coming back to my mind. So that's what I pray, that we'd make the best use of the brief life we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.